from the twisted mind of author Eve S. Evans. Prepare yourself for a sleepless night after listening to sinister true tales of paranormal. A truly haunted podcast brings you a new chilling episode weekly. Available on all major podcasting networks. Forever Haunted Podcast. Coming at you straight from the supernatural vortex. Vortex. Discussing haunted locations, ghosts, poltergeists, cryptids, and all unexplained phenomena. Here's your hosts, Eve S. Evans, James Currow. Welcome to another episode of the Forever Haunted Podcast. I'm James Kiro. And I am Eva S. Evans. Welcome to our new segment of Ghost Stories. Sit back and relax and enjoy, because Ghost Stories are up next. When I lived with my brother in a small town called Lytton Springs, we were really into four-wheelers. Back then, I had a Yamaha Blaster. It was my pride and joy. Anyway, we would go out every night after school and go riding along empty roads that seemed to go nowhere. We lived on the outskirts of an already rural town, so there wasn't much out there but cows and pastures. That's where our strange experience happened, out there on one of those long, dark roads. For background... Lytton Springs Center was a small community of houses, a church with a large graveyard adjacent to it, and a small locally owned old country store. The place was called Les Spradling's General Store. It was built entirely out of wood and had an old cast iron oven that they used to heat the place. A few years prior to our move, the owner of the store was shot dead behind the counter. Being that it was a small town where everyone knew each other, this was a big deal. Les was a great guy. He used to give us free sodas for coming by to talk to him and helping him out around the store. Les had built the store himself from the ground up and was a great friend to the majority of the people in the area. The night he was murdered, a drunk had stumbled into the store, and as he went to pay for his alcohol, he pulled out a gun and ordered Les to empty the register. Les gave him the money and, being a generous and friendly man, had told him he could always come to him if he needed someone to lend him some money for whatever reason. In response, the man shot Les in the chest and left him to bleed to death, all alone in the store he had built to support his family. Since Les died, everyone assumed that the store would be closed down, which meant all the ranchers and people in the area would have to make the long drive to the next town to get things they needed. This town pretty much depended on his store for gas, feed, food, you name it. Things just weren't the same after he'd been killed. Then, some strange things started happening in the area. 
My cousin Greg and I would still ride our quads all over at night, zooming along the empty roads with our lights off and nothing but the moon out to light our way. We came across a lot of strange things, some that are hard to explain. Near our place, we found two different abandoned graveyards. One seemed to be a Mexican graveyard, with small faded statues of the Virgin Mary and crumbling graves with strange engravings on them. However, the etchings didn't seem to be in Spanish, as one would assume. When we discovered this place, we were excited. It was something new to see in the tiny town, after all. It was tucked away on a small dirt path that led off through some brush on the side of the road quite a ways down. There was an old rickety fence made out of mesquite and barbed wire. The whole place had a strange smell to it I can't really describe, and the air felt thick and muggy, even on a crisp evening. We walked through the graveyard looking around, trying to read the tombstones, and looking at the dates, all of which were between the late 1700s to the mid-1800s. There were a total of about 20 tombstones, one of which was separated from the rest by a stone wall about three feet tall. The tombstone inside of this barrier was an old Spanish cross, and as we approached, we realized a large snake was coiling its way around it. I don't know what kind of snake it was. It didn't look indigenous to the area. We mostly have rattlesnakes, copperheads, water moccasins, and garter snakes. This one, however, didn't look like any of those. It was glossy black, with a viper's head and at least four feet long. Now, I've spent my fair share of time in the woods and whatnot, but I have never seen a snake do anything like this before, or to this day. It was almost like it was defending the tombstone, completely oblivious to our presence. Being young and unafraid at the time, we decided to see if we could scare it off. Greg and I grabbed some fallen branches and reached out to poke at it. Oddly enough, it was completely unresponsive, with no signs of aggression or even trying to avoid the branch. It just kept swirling around the tombstone, like that was its sole purpose in life. We gave up messing with the snake and decided to get going. Neither of us admitted it, but we were a little spooked. On another night, when the moon wasn't out and it was almost pitch black outside, we were out having fun messing around on the four-wheelers and decided to go into Lytton Springs to see if we could find any other people driving around. We were riding around Les Spradling's store and around the church graveyard, just looking around in search of fun. We started circling the graveyard, admiring how large some of the tombstones were. Even though we felt a strange feeling of guilt, we decided to see how exciting it would be to creep through the gate and walk around the graveyard at night. The place was huge, and we nearly got lost out there in the dark. We finally got our bearings and started heading back when something caught my cousin's eyes. We slowed down to look back at the graveyard, and he pointed at something moving in the distance. It was the back door of the church, and it started to open. Slowly, a hideous old woman in a sickly white dress peered through the darkness at us from the frame of the door. She just stood there. We exchanged a worried glance, only a flash of a second, but when we looked back to get a better look, she was gone. But the door was still open. Without saying a word, we just turned and sprinted away, almost tripping over each other in the dark. We hopped back on the quads, and lo and behold, as soon as we reached the four-way stop, there she was again, standing in the middle of the road, arms dangling limply at her sides. She seemed to almost glow, just a little bit, and looked deathly pale. Let's get the hell out of here, Greg yelled, and we shot out of there, full throttle. 
We went back to the graveyard eventually, once the shock had worn off, but we never saw the ghostly woman again. The third story I'll tell about these spooky backcountry escapades is one of the local lures. It's said that if you stopped at the edge of the old cemetery, on the northern corner, a dog would jump out and chase you off. The scary part? No one ever saw the dog. They only heard the vicious snarls and barks, sounding close enough to bite but remaining invisible. Naturally, Greg and I decided to tempt fate. A couple of nights in a row, we'd park on the north corner of the cemetery and wait for the dog, to no avail. On the third night, I got impatient and hopped off my four-wheeler, determined to find the creature. The second I heard that growl, though, I was running faster than an Olympic sprinter. Though I never caught a glimpse of anything, the sounds were so menacing I had no choice but to get out of there, or wet my pants. Later, I told my brother about the experience. He laughed and slapped his knee. Yeah, I know that dog, he said. He told me when he was a kid, his friends had this border collie that was attacked by another dog that was notorious in the neighborhood for being vicious. Sadly, his dog didn't make it. And when the friend heard it was the third pet this crazy mutt killed, he decided to take matters into his own hands. The boy grabbed his gun, tracked it down, and shot the murderous dog four times, and it didn't die. To his utter shock, the dog stood right back up and walked off as if nothing had happened. Though it did eventually pass away, maybe the thing in the bushes was that same dog. Just a faded memory of what it used to be. Who knows? That's the strange thing about little towns like these. Every place has its history. About four years ago, when I was nine, my aunt and uncle bought this huge old house in Maine. We only lived about ten minutes away from them, but the only way to reach their house was by car, since it was in the middle of the woods and the road was shadowed by the trees. My aunt and uncle worked full-time, so during summer vacation, my mom would drive my grandma and I over to my aunt's house to take care of her two kids. Jolie, three at the time, and David, six at the time. My grandma never liked going there, and was always complaining about the kids and the mess they made. I wasn't exactly an angel either, so when David and Jolie were up to no good, I would usually just join in with their schemes. The house itself was huge. The previous owners had left most of their furniture behind, and when my aunt and uncle brought theirs, they ended up with a lot. But the weird thing is, the house still feels so empty, like the rooms are bigger than they seem. There was one room that didn't have any furniture in it at all, except for an old wardrobe. We called it the Blue Room, since the walls were painted bright electric blue. My aunt and uncle never used the room, and it had a different vibe to the rest of the house. It made me uneasy whenever I went in there like I shouldn't be there. As usual, my aunt and uncle were at work, so my mom drove my grandma and I over to look after the kids. When we got there, I found out that Jolie had broken David's favorite toy, and he wanted to get revenge by stealing her Barbie doll. Thinking it would be fun, I naturally agreed to his plan. While Jolie was eating her lunch, 
David and I snuck into her room and stole her doll, burying it in the sandbox so she wouldn't be able to find us. Of course, my grandma had seen everything through the window, and she made us give it back. After lunch, my grandma said that Jolie was tired, so she sent us to the blue room so that Jolie could fall asleep without our noise and distractions. As I mentioned before, there wasn't any furniture in the blue room, except for a dusty old wardrobe that the previous owners must have left behind. With nothing else to do, we opened it up and started rummaging through the stuff inside. There wasn't much in there apart from some old jackets and a couple of heavy books sitting on the top shelf. We grabbed the books and laid out on the floor, rifling through them in search of some colorful pictures. A few minutes later, we heard someone knocking at the door. I closed my book and ran to open it, but there was nobody there. I poked my head out and looked down the hallway, but it was empty. Thinking it might have just been the wind or something, I dragged one of the heavy books in front of the door so that it didn't blow open again and went back to reading. We were almost done looking through the books when someone knocked on the door again. Thinking it must have been my grandma, I yelled for her to come in. Almost immediately, the door swung open with enough force to move the book across the floor. But there was nobody on the other side. The door had opened by itself. I knew for a fact there were no windows or doors open, and even the wind couldn't have been strong enough to move such a heavy book across the floor. Freaking out, the two of us ran out of the room screaming. Our noise obviously woke Jolie up from her nap, and I could tell my grandma was mad at us when she told us to go and play outside on the swing. Disappointed she wouldn't believe what we'd seen, we headed out to the swings, still not really sure what had happened in the blue room. The more I thought about it, the less it made rational sense. It should have been impossible for the door to open by itself, especially with such a heavy book blocking it. Since it was almost time for my mom to pick me up, I went to the bathroom to wash my hands and clean myself up. Once I was finished, I left the bathroom and was about to head back outside when something caught my attention. I turned my head just in time to see a shadow dart out from the blue room. I chased it, but there was nobody there. I don't know much about the history of the house itself, but it was built back in 1871, and from my experiences, I'm pretty sure the Blue Room is haunted. Thank you for listening to Forever Haunted Podcast with Eve, James, and Ryan. And remember, if you have a ghost story you'd like featured on the show, contact us at foreverhauntedpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to follow us on all social media so you don't miss a thing. Eves.EvansAuthor on Instagram and Facebook. Or Forever Haunted Podcast on Instagram and Facebook.